0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly.
1: Adrian goes under center this time. Mills, the deep back, turn and toss it to Mills off the left side. He's to the 10. Step arms a man, five dives. He is in touchdown, Nebraska. Diedrich Mills finds the end zone from 14 yards out.
0: Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts. Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Thank
1: you. Welcome to our Thursday edition of Sports Highly here on the Huskers Sports Network. A lot to get to tonight. A lot of things popping around the sports world. We'll start to make our way through this. Also going to be joined later on in the hour by Kent Pavalka, who you're going to hear tomorrow night during this time. He will be on the call for our greatest games. Back in 1994, the Huskers against the Colorado Buffaloes, a top three matchup N U and CU. We'll reminisce about that with KP coming up here in a few minutes. We're going to start with the two prime head coaches at Nebraska, Scott Frost and Fred Hoiberg, with quite an announcement today. They are each going to donate a portion of their salaries for the upcoming fiscal year back to the Husker Athletic Department's General Operating Fund. Now, the amount to the department will be determined once they finalize budgets For the upcoming year, Scott Frost said, quote, these are difficult times across our country and certainly in college athletics. And Nebraska athletics is not immune to the financial crunch. This athletic department has been so important to my family for several decades. Before I ever played or coached here, I was a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. First, I wanted to do my small part to help ensure our athletic department and all of our teams have the necessary resources to compete for championships moving forward. Fred Hoiberg said, when I took this job, one of the things that stood out to me most about Nebraska was its complete commitment to the student athlete not just football or men's basketball but in all sports after a little more than a year here i am even more impressed with the resources available to our young men and women it is important to me to contribute to keeping nebraska a leader in student athlete support and services we've seen other coaches other athletic departments around the country do this here's nebraska stepping up now still very much a lot of uncertainty about the future for college sports because of covid 19. ben your thoughts about this gesture from Scott Frost and Fred Hoiberg.
2: Yeah, it's always bothered me um, how one of the one of the first things people go to when teams, programs, or even coaches struggle, um, and not even just relative to the head coach, but you know, of any head coach at Nebraska, whenever something doesn't go well, it's always bothered me how callers, people on social media people that we interact with, the first thing that they go to is, coach is making this amount of money. It's always the first thing that people point out when, when things aren't going well and, and say, this person's not worth this amount of money. Um, you had the Mad Dog the other day go off on his radio show um, talking about how players in Major League Baseball shouldn't be able to voice their opinions because they make a lot of money And those ones that aren't performing particularly well shouldn't be using their voice for anything. And per usual idiotic take by that guy, you know, I think that's – I think to me that's that's an annoyance of mine, how people are always quick to point out how much a coach is making and how much a coach is is worth and how much people are paying him to to do their job. Um, Those coaches are making that amount of money for a reason and and to me you know when when you're quick to point out you know this coach is making this amount of money we're quick to to point out that you know since we're not the ones making that money we become these uh these people that have the right to say how they should spend their money why they're making that much money and are they worth that much money and in doing that you know it it, it's kind of a, a weird situation to be in if you're a coach because you know we can sit here and say, you know, coaches and players are making, you know, even Major League Baseball, Greg, these guys are making this much money. You know, take your prorated salary and go play. Coaches, you're making this much money. Go donate it. You know, do do this with it. Do that with it. It's easy to say when it's not our money. It's easy to say when we're we're just sitting here and we're saying, you know, coaches need to do this, need to do that. I think if we were all in that situation, um, most of us aren't in that situation to – to tell people what they should or shouldn't do with their money, how they should use it, are they worth that much? But for them to actually kind of—and this is a, a bad pun and not intended—to put their money where their mouth is, I think says a lot about their character, says a lot about who they are as people. And and I don't know that those same people that that call our show or tweet at us or you know on the message boards, whatever it is, that say. You know, you're not worth this much money or if they were in that situation, I don't know that they would do the same thing. I mean, I don't know that any of us would know what that's like to kind of be the ones that are looked at in the public eye who aren't going to suffer financially when so many people are during this pandemic to suggest what they should do with their paycheck. But to actually have them do that and to step up together in unison uh, without any kind of public pressure, without you know any pressure from the people above them and in, in, in the athletic department or Bill Moose to really help that athletic department out to help their colleagues out they, the the coaches that they rub arms with in the offices all the time or you know pass at the training table eat with you know have athletes that work out together whatever it may be to for for the for the coaches that are in a, a good position financially to help those teams out to help those coaches out to help everybody out in the athletic department because of how much money they're making, I think, again, says a lot to their character. And it's very admirable that they're willing to do that in a, in a tough situation for everybody. And, you know, it's going to be a tough year for the athletic department to make everything work and to make ends meet. But, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily going to help it all the way, but it is going to help. And I think, again, it says a lot about what type, what type of people Fred Hoiberg and Scott Frost are to be
1: willing to do that uh, without any kind of public pressure to do so. Well... Coach Frost comments about, you know, he wants the necessary resources for every sport to be able to be competitive. That's what's on the chopping block here. If we don't get full crowds at Memorial Stadium or there's limited crowds at the Devaney Center for volleyball or Pinnacle Bank for men's and women's basketball, that's going to cut into the budget for Nebraska. And that might cost a program its life, right? I mean, swimming could go. Gymnastics could go. uh, Whatever it may be, something could be in trouble if if we can't get full funding, these two guys. I think recognize that, and they're stepping up and doing that. And the whole thing about oh, they're, they're paying so and so too much. That, that nobody held a gun to anybody's head to pay that. That's what the market bears. That's what yeah. that's what the going rate is for f- head football coaches at the Big Ten level, or head basketball coaches at the Big Ten level. It's it's the rate that you have to pay to play the game. And so you're right. I, I get I get. I get tired of hearing that argument as well. The, hey, I mean, these guys can afford it. That, that, that's not the, thats not really the point here. They also want to pitch in and make sure that Bill Moose doesn't have to go. Man, am I going to have to think about eliminating that sport right now because we're going to be in a tough fiscal year here in 2020-21? I mean, I, I think it's—I think it's a great thing that they did today, and we're certainly glad to be able to lead off the show with that here tonight. Let's stay with Husker football. We've me talking about some commitments into the into the uh, 2021 recruiting class. Well, today Nebraska got a decommitment. And I don't know that I'm shocked by this. It's the linebacker from Georgia, Christopher Paul, who committed a couple of months ago. Um, and then, then you started hearing rumblings that he still wanted to go take visits, which, hey, I get that. I understand that. Um, and so he has decommitted from Nebraska. I, I don't know if Nebraska still has a shot with him or if he's just like, yeah, that ain't going to work for me. I'm going to move on. Uh, how much is COVID having to deal with this? I don't know. Maybe by now he would have been here and would have loved his visit. But but he's off the board. I don't know that Nebraska's coaches were shocked by this because they've kept kind of adding to the linebacker room here the last couple of weeks. Uh, but you, you you never like to see this, Ben. But this isn't surprising, and it's probably not going to be the last one we hear about between now and December. No, and, and I don't know a whole lot about this situation in particular, but what I do know about
2: it based on, uh, the comments from the young man, and you know, just just using common sense based on his social media posts, I got the sense more and more that Nebraska was a placeholder for him. Uh, I mean, this decommitment comes right on the heels of him picking up a Tennessee offer. This is a three-star kid out of Georgia. Um, most of those four and five—I mean, without a doubt, the five stars—but those four stars, those SEC schools are very quick to jump on. For whatever reason, it was—it was almost like. Uh, schools where he's from in Georgia and surrounding areas, maybe even the SEC, were a little slower on pulling the trigger. Um, And I kind of feel like he was interested in staying in that area. Nebraska was one of the bigger schools that that offered him, showed him a lot of love, showed him all their interest. But once he started gaining more and more attention from the South, I think Nebraska was kind of that placeholder school that he held a commitment to. And I don't want to completely destroy – The young man for greg i think this is the first domino of a lot of student athletes that nebraska's involved in both with commitments to them and commitments to other schools that are going to flip to nebraska that we're going to see with this pandemic i think this recruiting cycle is going to be crazy we always say every year on the show to not get too excited and and bogged down by the word commitment because that word is is very loose and, and, it, and it, it's fluid these days. It doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. It means that, yeah, they've pledged a commitment to your school, but a lot of times that, that those do get shifted from one school to the next. Um, and I think even more so, you know, when you hear the word commit with this class in particular, the December signing period, and even, even when we get to the February signing period, you're going to see some chaos. You're going to see some things that – that change hands. And so, yeah, you can be frustrated. You can be, you know, anytime you get a decommitment, it's not good. But I think, you know, if we're being realistic, this is something that we're going to see a lot of, not just with Nebraska um, to and from their classes, but around the big 10 and even around the country. I mean, I don't, I feel like most people in this area only follow Nebraska. Some may follow some of the other big 10 schools, but um, if, if you are one of those people that follow recruiting nationally I think this is something you're going to see a lot uh, of decommitments and, and guys flipping schools, especially when you get to that last week or two before the next signing period in December because a lot of these kids are committing sight unseen. A lot of these guys are committing, um, you know, based on on Zoom calls, on um, interactive visits. And, 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 look, I don't know if this is true, Greg, but part of my hypothesis is th- there's a creative market that certain schools – are tapping into right now that are allowing them to be more successful recruiting than maybe they are, you know, think of it more of, of an abstract brain versus like an on, on, on the paper brain or a, a, you know, a straight math brain, because you can make a school look great, you know, based on how creative you are ways that you can show it where another school who, again, if you were to see it in person and get the full rundown like, like normal, you know, that school would blow the other school out of the water. So it's hard to make those determinations based on Zoom calls or you know these virtual visits. I do think that the relationship aspect of it is is proving to be very important to get these kids to commit, but I also feel that uh, a, another huge part of this is going to be what happens when they get to campus and they and they start seeing the other the other parts to a school that you can't see right now with the coronavirus. So again, my whole point here is that You're going to see changing of hands of a lot of kids. This one happened to involve Nebraska. It's not going to be the last one to involve Nebraska for or against the Huskers. But again, you never like to see decommitments either way. But unfortunately, Nebraska was hit with this one and, it kind of sounds like this this kid wanted to sniff closer to the SEC and closer to home, and he picked up the Tennessee visit today, and you have to imagine that that's weighing pretty heavily with him, that he's going to either, either going to go to Tennessee or pick up more SEC offers.
1: Right. I, I think the further the commitments are from your campus, the greater the chance you may decommit. I think the ones who are close by and probably have been here for games, I mean, Nebraska's got probably one, two, three, four, Five of their nine are young men who are within 150 miles of campus. Yeah, I feel good about those. The other four, I think wait and see. Just hang on. So it's going to be a wild ride between now and December when that signing day comes. Last thing we want, I want to hit on the opening segment, Nebraska baseball loses junior outfielder Aaron Polinsky. He signed a free agent contract today with the New York Yankees. Uh, He would have been drafted, uh, there's no doubt. He was a draft-eligible player, junior draft-eligible player. The draft, though, limited to five rounds. Then everybody's a free-for-all after that. The Yankees obviously pursued him pretty hard. Polinski opting to to forego his final year of college baseball. Will Bolt said Aaron has been a model ambassador for Husker baseball, an absolute joy to coach. His talent, work ethic, and demeanor will allow him to excel at the professional level. It will be fun to see him climb the ranks and pursue his dreams. So Aaron Plensky, who was off to a smoking hot start here in the junior year when the season got stopped in March, is off to play professional baseball. I wish him the best of luck. It's a blow to Nebraska because he's a heck of a player, but I don't blame the Yankees for pursuing him. He can play.
2: Heck of a player and heck of a young man. I mean, we, we talked about – uh, you know, in Nebraska's football locker room, guys that, um, you know, you may or may not want around. Aaron Polensky in the baseball locker room is the exact type of guy that you want all these new players to come in and see what Husker baseball is all about. He's one of those players that are out going to – he's going to outwork everybody on the field, and chances are he's going to outperform you on the field too. So you have a guy like that who uh, stands for the right things, plays the game the right way, uh, loves playing for the end. Has a tremendous family, great support from his brothers and his parents. Um, you know, this is a this is always tough for us. I mean, this is a little unique in that Aaron wasn't necessarily drafted. But to, to, again, the, the, the results the same. Having somebody leave early is never a fun feeling because you don't really expect it. Um, it's it's hard to imagine Aaron not being in the lineup next year, based on you know knowing that uh, what his status is and what could have been you know next year with a potential draft status, but um, really gonna miss him. Proud of uh, of him for for doing enough and basically a year and a quarter to uh, to get noticed by the scouts. Remember he came from JUCO, so he put enough together in one full season and about a quarter to a half of a season to where he got drafted and noticed by scouts, which is which is big time. Um, he he's provided he provided me with a, a top three moment calling Husker baseball. The home run he hit against Oklahoma State in that regional game was was maybe the the most intense, excitable moment I've had uh, calling a game with you in that first inning against Okie State. He was on a tear uh, to start there. You mentioned he had a grand slam against Baylor. He had a couple of home runs in that Arizona State series and was just a delight to talk to. And, you know, the, the lasting memory I have of Aaron, Greg, is when we interviewed him right before Baylor. Uh, I think you guys, they were getting ready to, to hop on a bus and head to an airport. And I said, well, what, what are you hoping to see – you know this first weekend and a lot of times I get the answer of you know I'm just hope we're hoping to play clean baseball play good play good baseball come back with a little confidence Aaron said I'm going down there to sweep Baylor and anything <laughs> less than that is going to be a disappointment that's a lot, one of the lasting memories I have with him but um it stinks to see him go that home run was was just uh, such an amazing feeling and and uh you know for him to get that opportunity at the next level I hope he, uh, he made enough of a footprint on those younger guys to where they take control of that work ethic that he left behind.
1: I, I, I can confidently say that there had been a normal draft for Major League Baseball this year, not just the limited five rounds. There's no doubt he would have gotten drafted fairly high, and he probably would have gone. So this is the end result. I was hoping with this, the smaller draft and the smaller free agent money pool that maybe he'd come back for a senior year, but it was not to be. We're back on a Sports Nightly Thursday night. Coming up tomorrow night our Nebraska Lottery Greatest Games. We're going to time warp you back to 1994, the Husker matchup with the Colorado Buffaloes. The Buffs were ranked second in the country. Nebraska number three. Tremendous atmosphere. And the guy who called that game joins us now, Kent Pavelka. KP, great to have you with us. How the heck you doing? You, you been okay?
3: Dandy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean... I guess I should say I'm, I'm grateful, you know, uh, so far uh, nobody's tested positive in our family and uh, uh, it's been a rough time, you know. I mean, even for those of us fortunate enough to, to still be healthy, uh, it, it, it's been difficult, I mean, for everybody, no question.
1: What have you been doing? you been getting out and working in your yard some or what?
3: I have and it looks pretty darn good too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I enjoy that. You know, I I like to I like to garden, and and uh, so I've been spending a lot of time doing that. And you know, I'm no different than anybody else. The days, you know, just fly by, even though they, ironically, uh, you know, at the same time, it, it's like you said, it's groundhog's day all, all every day. Uh, I I guess it's a little bit like retirement. People talk about when they retire. You know, they can't believe how busy they are. I imagine it's a little bit like that.
1: Yeah, Campa is with us. We're going to talk some Husker football from the nineteen ninety four season. I, I want to, I want to get your thoughts about how much did the close call from the year before losing that Orange Bowl game in a heartbreaking fashion? How much do you think that motivated that ninety four team?
3: Well, I think the mo- the what uh, wasn't the motto "unfinished business" or was that mm-hmm. the next year? I'm no, not that, sure. Yeah, it was, it was that un- year? Um, we walked away from that game after Florida State, you know, feeling like um, this program was, was, you know, the best in the country and uh, very easily could have won the national championship that night. Whoever coined the unfinished business uh, motto was, was brilliant because I think that motivated uh, the program and, and, and the fans alike Um and so it was like, uh, everybody was on a mission, you know, from, from that, that moment on, we got through basketball season and spring football and, and then, uh, you know, the drama began one game at a time. And, uh, you know, the thinking back, it was what, how many years ago now? Is it 25 years ago? Um, the, um, you know, the, uh, the focus was on getting it done, and 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 they did one one at a time, 13-0 in, in the end. And certainly that Colorado game was was uh, was very very memorable for a lot of reasons. Um, won at 24-7. We can talk more about that. But yeah, it was uh, not winning against Florida State. I think was a huge motivator, no question.
1: KP, we played the, the K-State game a few weeks ago where the Huskers' Matt Turman, quarterback part of that game, Brooke, was beat up. Tommy was out with the blood. Clots. So that, that team had a lot to overcome, and, and that was a good K-State team. That was a, a nasty day, rainy, but the Huskers survived it. And then the next week took care of Missouri, and then came home for a huge battle with Colorado. I think when people can't think of the Big Eight days, they always assume, and rightfully so, Nebraska, Oklahoma, the big rivalry. But toward the end, it was more Colorado, wasn't it? It became such a big rivalry for the Huskers.
3: Exactly. Uh, no question about it. And you know, I think that the focus on the Colorado game would have been even more intense, uh, you know, weeks prior to that, had it not been for the quarterback issues with with Brooke and and Tommy, because uh, this team had to feel its way along, you know, feel its way through all that that adversity. But um, you know, you got to remember when that when they when they teed it up that day, Colorado was was ranked second, and Nebraska was ranked third, so. Uh, yeah, Colorado. That, that cert, certainly, Colorado in that period of time in those years had had surpassed uh, the role that Oklahoma had played in in terms of uh, the Nebraska focus, and they had some great players, no question about it. But. Um, yeah, and so the anticipation for that game was just immense the week before, after the Missouri game. It was just huge. That's the thing that's most memorable in my mind was, you know, that big game atmosphere that you know so well uh, and the Husker fans know so well. But I, I can't remember, other than some Oklahoma games and then, of course, the, the national championship games, um, a, a buildup that was as intense as that one was before the Colorado game.
1: That CU team, Cordell Stewart, future NFL quarterback, was there. Rashawn Salam was a great running back, and yet the Blackshirts hold him to seven points. Are you kidding me? That must have been a heck of a defensive day.
3: Did some tremendous uh, things defensively, and after the game, Coach Osborne talked about the fact that they had added some things. They didn't think that they they wanted to just stand up straight, you know, straight up with them, and they had to do some different things that they added the week prior to and some weeks prior to that. Uh, some blitz packages, some different looks, and that, along with the kicking game that day, uh, Colorado had the long field all game long, and you know those two, those two uh, of the three elements of, uh, of the game were were what really were the most impressive: the kicking game and and, and the black shirts that day.
1: Well, you know, go ahead.
3: So, sorry, sorry, Greg. Salam had had some numbers in that game. But Cordell Stewart uh, struggled, and he, he struggled every time Nebraska played Colorado. He, he never had a good day against Nebraska.
1: And The Blackshirt defense had something to do with that. We're visiting again with Kent Pavelka, who called that 94 game, which we're going to hear back tomorrow night in our greatest game segment. Brooke was back for that game, and it was also Lawrence Phillips had a heck of a day. He was really in a stretch right there, Kent, where he was an elite Player, I think to this day there are a lot of Husker fans that feel that Lawrence Phillips might have been the most ta- talented tailback to ever play at Nebraska. He was good, wasn't he?
3: I think he was, Greg. Um, you know, I saw some good ones, some really good ones over the years. But I, I think everything considered, he was the best I that, that 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 I saw, and that I was fortunate enough to to call the games when he played. Um, he had everything, and of course, again, going back to the fact that Tommy was out with blood clots, and and Brooke had had the had had his uh, his uh, collapsed lung issues both in the Wyoming and Oklahoma games, Oklahoma State games. Uh, you know that played that played a factor, I think, in the play calling probably um, even even in the Colorado game. So. Uh, another reason that that uh, Lawrence Phillips, you know, had to had to have a big day, and and he never failed anybody in, in terms of uh, how tough he was when maybe the the play calling was restricted a little bit. I think I think against Colorado, Nebraska threw the ball 17 times that day.
1: Yeah, that was that was Coach Osborne's offense. He loved that style at that point in time. I want to ask you about Bill McCartney. I mean that guy gets the job at Colorado, and he made no bones about it. He wanted to make Nebraska rival. He wanted to keep the red out of Boulder. I mean that guy. They probably had to have a police escort around him when he came into Memorial Stadium, didn't they?
3: Yeah, he was an interesting guy. I mean, he, does, he was the antithesis of Coach Osborne in many respects. You know, the, and and you know the way most coaches would play it. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. You might circle the date on your calendar in the locker room, but nobody knew about it except any you know people in the locker room. but he he, he circled it in July and, and made a big deal of it. And uh, um, you know I guess it served him well. They got good. They were good. Mm-hmm. So uh, but he was he was a different cat.
1: They sure were good. They had some tremendous teams. I want to shift gears with you a little bit. Let's talk a little Husker basketball. Wow, another another roster turnover from the offseason, although Thor's back and Ivan's back and the three young guys who sat out last year. What do you make of, of the roster that, that Coach Hoyberg and that staff have put together for this upcoming year?
3: Well, you won't be surprised, but I, I think they could be pretty darn good, you know. Uh, I've been saying that for 100 years. Um Sometimes with uh, a little more conviction than others, maybe uh, this is not wishful thinking. I think he's got, I think he's got, he's got some, uh, he's got some talent that will allow them to to compete in the conference. No question about it. I think Teddy Allen has a chance to be. Um, really, really special. My understanding is, and I'm not sure about pronunciations yet. It's too early to call me on, you know, to hold me responsible. But, uh, my understanding is Lat man is, it, it has been, uh, really impressive, you know, early days, uh, working out players on their own. Um, but I think they're going to be deep. I think they're going to be, um, I think they're going to have everything except the big kid that wound up in Connecticut. You know, at Connecticut, that would have been the cherry on the top of the Sunday had they, had they reeled him in. But um, I think they'll have positional size. I think that they'll be better shooters, better shooting team. Um, and my, you know, my, my feel about that first season was that it was an okay team. They weren't not – they weren't untalented. But I don't know – I don't know how much they loved the game, you know. And I, I, I think he's put together – a group of kids that really 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 like to compete and that's that's going to that's going to serve them really well
1: now I just hope we get to see them play right
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know i think about that 100 times a day you know what's it going to look like you know what kind of crowds are they going to be at the football stadium what kind of crowds are they going to be at the at at, at pinnacle you know um, they've got schedules made out will they will they play the schedules you know i don't know I don't think anybody knows. I think college athletics is is, is uh, going forth and making plans, and they have to. Uh, but, gosh, I mean, what do, what do you think, Greg? What well, do you I feel. feel-
1: I felt better a couple of days ago than I do today. But that, I think we may have that, Kent, going forward. I think it may be kind of herky-jerky. One week may seem like everything's rosy, and then we may have a setback, and it could be that way. I will tell you, we had Jake on the other night after the non-conference schedule came out, and all he cares about, Ken, is he wants to be able to play golf in Myrtle Beach. That, that's his biggest <laughs> focus.
3: Uh, the chip doesn't fall. You know, you know, it sounds like, sounds like, uh, Matt Davison to me. <laughs> i sure you didn't have Matt on.
1: It was Jake. Uh, and he just said he knew you'd be too busy prepping, but he would go out and hit the little white ball for you. So, uh, that was fun. Well, can't we appreciate it? We're looking forward to hearing this back tomorrow night. It's been a blast for us to play back a lot of these games over the last couple weeks on Friday. We appreciate you reminiscing with us here tonight.
3: Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it, man.
1: No sports on this weekend. We've got you covered. I know everything about film. I've seen over
0: 240 of them.
1: Time now for Sports Nightly Flicks Picks. And action. All right, let's get to it. After a week off, I'm sure Ben McLaughlin's been watching all kinds of things. All this downtime you've had. Yeah, watching or watching the inside of my eyelids. You know
2: who's counting at that. But something (laughs) that we've been trying our best to get through is Uh, Something that's caught wildfire and something that uh, is something that we talk about a lot or I think about a lot and wrote a report on in school It's about uh, an event that that inspired some some of the most tragic in that in the history of the United States Waco on Netflix
3: You've looked to me to be your leader to
4: guide you on this journey. But I'm no leader, I'm a follower, just like you. God has instructed me to stay here and wait for his sign. This is our time to prove through suffering
5: that we are worthy of the miracle that's to come.
0: The kingdom of heaven
2: is coming. I promise you. Of course, the branch Davidians and the uh, David Koresh, the leader of that—I don't know how to call it a cult or whatever—but um, just very fascinating, interesting to getting the both perspectives because they, they it inspired from both sides of the story. So it's not just a slanted view one way. You're, you're really getting, you know, a taste of what it was like from both sides. It's. It's pretty intriguing stuff if you've got the time. Who who plays Koresh? Taylor Kitsch. He played uh, oh, yeah, 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 Riggins, yeah. Tim Riggins on Friday Night Lights. Oh. How many parts, nice. Ben, is it? I think it's like six or seven episodes. I want to say okay. we have one left. All right. Very good. Austin. Awesome.
6: This might surprise you guys, but I've never seen all of Anchorman. So that's on, on my oh docket my coming up. Okay. So I've seen most of it, and I've seen Anchorman, too, but I haven't seen all of the original. So my, my plan is to sit down and watch that through sometime in the near future. He, he's yeah. kind of a big
4: deal, you know. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, all I'm right, next. I, uh, I watched a movie called The Florida Project over the weekend. Here's a little preview of that. a lot. These are the rooms we're not supposed to go in. But let's go anyway.
1: Uh-huh.
4: Could you give us some change, please? The doctor said we have asthma and we gotta eat ice cream yeah. right away. Here you go. Woo!
1: Hey, Lee. Got a situation here. Open up. It's only second week of the summer, and there's already been a dead fish in the pool.
4: We're trying
3: to get it back alive. I failed as a mother, Mooney. You're yeah, not, Mom. <laughs> you're a
0: disgrace.
4: All right, this was an interesting movie. It was kind. Of, it's more of a slice of life type movie. No real beginning or end. There's. It's kind of hard to watch. Like definitely, uh, viewer be advised. But it, it's hard to watch at times. But it's also kind of a picture of the. Innocence, so um, innocence of childhood, but I, I definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix, and um, definitely well worth your time. How many parts is it? Is it a it's long series? It's just one. It's one movie.
1: It's, it's one, one movie. Oh, it's a so movie. okay. Yep. Exactly. Very good. Good. Nice. You guys all know I'm a big Yellowstone fan. The Kevin Costner series on Paramount, season three debuts Sunday night. So uh, they've been showing the last two years over the last week or so. I'm telling you, if you're not into it, you ought to be. Bill Moose, big fan. Scott Frost, (laughs) big fan. It's good. All right. That's this week's slicks picks.
0: It's summer. The Huskers are sharpening their skills with seven-on-seven drills. We're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the offseason with some seven-on-seven of our own. Seven topics a seven nation army couldn't hold me from sports from Manning seven touchdown passes to pop culture.
4: I never joke about my web 007
0: It's time to go seven on seven <laughs> on Sports Nightly.
6: This is just what Ben came back for. The previous four hours of the show were just a warm up for the main attraction, seven on yep. seven. Feeling ready, Ben?
1: Right. Feel, feeling out of shape. Time to get back <laughs> in shape with some 7-on-7. Seven seven.
6: Well, that's the spirit. Let's jump right into it here with topic number one. So everyone's favorite quarterback in at least this foursome, Tom Brady, has been in the news again this week. The Bucs put out pictures of their quarterback in his new jerseys. But Tom Brady has also been working out with his teammates at a local high school. And this week, that included a new workout partner, Shadur Sanders, the son of Hall of Famer Dion Sanders. So our question for you guys is which current or former coach or player would you guys want coaching your kid?
1: Hmm. Any, any Any current, former coach or player, any sport, anyone in
4: sports history in any sport.
6: Who do you want coaching your kid?
1: It's wide open. Man. Hey, I I got. We got two of them. We got a couple right here for the Huskers. I mean, my goodness, Darren Erstad, Fred Hoiberg. I mean, how about those two guys? Wouldn't you love your kid playing ball with Darren Erstad? Does it have to be? does Does it have to be a coach that played? No, Not necessarily anybody,
6: anyone, open to interpretation.
2: I was going I mean, if you're drawing good coaches in uh, in Lincoln. I'd give give me John Cook. <laughs> there's a good <laughs> chance. There's a good chance, baby. Kennedy could be playing in the Olympics someday. <laughs> That's right. Um, but if I'm broadening it up, um, it's interesting. Like, what style you would go for? Would you go for the Bear Bryant? Would you go for Yotes. those hard-nosed coaches that you know? Are known for their grit and known for this the—I don't want to say mistreatment of players, but you know the, let's say the the, the lack of uh, awareness maybe of how hard they were coaching. Or do you go with, you know, like a Chris Peterson type? You know, more of the Boise—I'm you know, thinking of Chris Peterson at Boise State when he's all you know, gadgets and gimmicks and. Uh, or do you go a guy like Mike Leach, who you're going to learn a lot from, just not Pirate. necessarily about the sport that you're playing.
1: <laughs> two, two old-time basketball coaches that would love to have been around some would be John Wooden. Hear the legendary stories about one of the first practice sessions he teaches about the proper way to tie their shoe and stuff. And Dean Smith. I always thought Dean Smith would be a great guy to just kind of great demeanor that he always had. Those would be two guys for me.
6: You teach your kid to stand in the corner all yourself, though.
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: Good point. All right, on to topic number two. And I'm sure you guys have seen the Twitter thread this week of the SEC football coaches as females. <laughs> but if you didn't miss it, that's pretty easy search to find. Anyway, yep. which of the SEC coaches in that thread do you think pulls it off best? And also, we just put out a Twitter poll. Four polls, actually, that feature our Husker Sports Network crew in that same oh, fashion no. as the SEC <laughs> coaches. You did not, did you? I did. We, I, did. we did. It's oh. it's out there. It's up for everybody to see. Did, and, didn't we uh, do this
1: one time and Nate was like hilarious. So this was, a,
4: this was a. I think what we did last summer, we did as old men. We did that. Um, oh yeah, we yeah, yeah. The Females one. So that that's oh, apparently what's been making the rounds the last couple days or so. Holy moly! He's Give you some time to pull it up, but.
6: Josh and I were going back and forth on this last night with every one. We just, oh my goodness. It was, Holy it got better moly. and better, but worse and worse. I don't even, this is like, I don't
2: even know. So <laughs> I didn't even look at it cause it's so cringy. Like <laughs> it's just so, it <laughs> looks so cringy. So cringy.
1: Oh my goodness. Um, the pirate was pretty funny. Mike Leach, we brought him up earlier for that sec thing. That was pretty good. Uh and, and the Nick Saban one, you're like, what? I mean, <laughs> that was bizarre. This is, oh my gosh. I hope Brett, sees. everybody sees. Everybody's off Twitter. Like, like the next. Brett looks looks Amish. <laughs> 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 he looks like does, with that shirt that that he's got
2: on or she's got on in that in that photo. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it look like she's either Mormon or, or Amish? <laughs> I mean, just very uh, very buttoned up church going uh. gal. People, please well, stay we, off Twitter for like the next hour. Yeah, we That's we so did four bad.
4: separate polls, so you guys, everybody, can go vote on these. We did the Sports Nightly host, so Greg Ben and Nate. We did the other play-by-play people outside of of that. So KP. So is this an app or, or something that Kutme you like, Yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the uh, Face app. So apparently, I don't know why it came back around, but it, it was it made a hit for like a week or two last summer, and then somebody <laughs> randomly tweeted out the ICC coaches. And did other coaches as well, but I don't know why. But I've just been seeing it pop up all over the place this, these last couple days. So I'm Jeez. not sure. That's not sure why. But everybody like can enjoy
2: nightmares. Well,
6: well, you know why? It's because there aren't actual sports. So instead of covering sports and uh. actual coaches, we have to put them in an app and make them look different. Greg, you're li- you're you're a little heavy on the lipstick, don't
1: you think? <laughs> <laughs> What do they say? Like less is more. <laughs> you you guys have ripped. Re- mean, you guys have just gone ruthless with this seven on seven the last few weeks. Nate's gals are wearing a tie.
6: <laughs> My comment so to Josh on Nate is, they looked like he was like ready for like Speech Club to go to state. Really, really impressed with all the content they have cooking.
2: Nate looks like a uh, like the, the 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 math teacher that you never wanted in Catholic school <laughs> that would just. <laughs>
1: just ruthlessly tear your homework apart oh, in front of the whole cool. class. People, please stay off of, please stay off Twitter. Just hide I mean, you can
2: vote, just no comments, please. Just keep the <laughs> yeah. comments to yourself. Keep it, yeah. I was just, oh, I was gonna oh.
4: throw that disclaimer out at the beginning of, you guys, let's let's be careful with our words, but I'll say that to the Twitter audience, too. Go vote, but just be careful what you say. Maybe we
6: need to go back and make it so unless you were tagged you can't comment. Oh, right, there you
1: go. Goodness gracious!
6: <laughs> All right, so on to topic.
1: Please, let's let's move on. Holy <laughs> yes, moly! We're, we're moving on. It's about
6: that time. All right, so earlier this week it was announced that Diego the Turtle would be retiring. And in case you don't know who Diego the Turtle is, it's not a children's book character, but Diego is a real-life giant Galapagos turtle that saved his species from extinction. So, this Diego is 100 years old, but when he was 50, so half his lifetime ago, there were only two males and 12 females alive. A breeding program was started to try and save them, and it worked. So, Diego is believed to be responsible for breeding 40% of the 2,000 giant tortoises alive today. Holy cow! 40%?! Yes, 40%. Go, Diego, go! (laughs) (laughs) 800 out of the 2000 give or take so if you guys could save one animal species from extinction what would it be
2: well after watching tiger king it's got to be the big cats i mean watching the way that those animals are treated by those i can't even call them humans those barbarians um just tough to look at they all need to be in some sort of hospital somewhere and yeah i mean it's that's that's hard to watch
1: Um, I'm going to go the ocean I'm going to go the dolphins I, I, I've always been fascinated by dolphins and I don't think they're in really danger of being extinct but I, I've, been, I've just been a big dolphin lover I've, you know, I've swam with the dolphins that kind of stuff dolphins I'm also a huge proponent of of saving
2: the, the, uh, the rhinos and the elephants especially yep. the ones that are poached just for their tusks that, that, there's nothing that grinds my gears more than, than hearing about those poor animals over in Africa that just get tear, torn apart just because of their, their tusks and their horns. Yep. Right. yep. Good one.
4: All right, on to topic number four. Earlier this week, former Penn State and New York Jets quarterback Christian Hackenberg announced that he's going to try his hand at baseball after giving up on football. Can you guys think of any other professional athletes that should switch sports based on their name? It seems like Hackenberg is more suited for baseball than football yeah. anyway.
2: Good point. I remember Christian Hackenberg's, when he when he came out of high school, that was when Penn State was going through all their sanctions. And he was uh, you know the highest recruit in that class. And that was such a big win for them to, to get him to come back. He was a slam dunk number one overall draft pick. Uh, I mean, everybody just thought he was going to be just the world. Even though he didn't have a good college career, everybody still kind of thought he could have a sneaky good NFL career. Um, He lasted in the the NFL about as long as I did, and now he's going to go try to give it a shot in baseball because he thinks he has a lot left in the arm. That's a truly disappointing career based on the hype surrounding him coming in. He was supposed to kind of bridge that gap from the sanctioned Penn State team to when
1: they got all their scholarships back. How good in one of the Rocky movies was Clubber Lang? I mean, oh, yeah. wasn't that Mr. I T? I mean, Tommy Gunn.
2: Tommy Gunn's Tommy not Gunn. bad either.
1: Yeah, those, I mean, in the movies they do a really good job of finding a name that fits in there pretty well. But baseball seems to have a lot of names that are really good oh, yeah. for, you know, kind of fit their sport really well.
6: Grant Balfour comes to mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> yeah. a tough one. I mean, there's just been a bunch of them that are like you're like, that is just a perfect baseball name. I don't know if you think about that as much in basketball Maybe some in football, but, but baseball just seems to lend itself to finding guys' names that fit really well with that sport. Hmm. I can't think of one off the top of my head, to be honest. Like, uh,
2: yeah, I got nothing. Obviously, I think
6: Balfour should switch sports. I mean, he's a pitcher, too, so find something else and make people want you to play baseball to see if it comes true. Don't give them that ammo right away. I'm sure I don't get that one. All right, so Greg, you just implored people to stay off Twitter, but yes. we're going we're going back to Twitter here for
1: topic <laughs> number five. So I'm, yes- I'm I'm in a fog right now because of this thing <laughs> on this Twitter. Poll. You should have <laughs> saved that till the end. Yeah, I probably. can't think
6: straight. <laughs> so yesterday, Twitter announced that it's letting its users uh, on iOS right now. Uh, it's letting users record and share audio tweets. So not like voice to text from the iMessages, but fully audio you can do up to 140 seconds worth of audio per tweet Hmm. so if you guys haven't used this feature already what's the first thing you're going to say in your first audio tweet
1: wow i have not used it yet Uh, i did know that they did open that up and i don't know how much i'll use it it might be decent to do kind of a quick game setter when we're somewhere and final quick thoughts to put it out on twitter i'm probably giving our folks lots of ideas here um It'll be so. I guarantee it'll be something Husker related. Whatever I do, it'll be something Husker related. How long can it be? 140
6: mi- seconds.
1: So that's what. Think it, two minutes, minutes
2: and about 20 just, seconds. Yeah. Next time Kennedy needs a bottle, Ricoler we're we're crying for 140 seconds and throwing that <laughs> up on uh, the it up on the Twitter for people to to take in. By the way, you, Ben, you are, you are you
1: are you are crushing Nate and I in the poll. Absolutely, oh, wow. crushing us. Like 84 percent is Ben. Whoa! How about that? Jeez. Is that right? I don't know if that's good (laughs) or bad. Is that good or bad? Like 39, you're just crushing
6: us. Just don't leave us for your burgeoning modeling career, please.
2: (laughs) I'm going to totally freak out my wife when I go up and show her what what just happened on the radio tonight. Um, What was the question? (laughs) What's going to be your
1: (laughs) first tweet? First audio audio tweet. tweet.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, it'll be something Husker related. Yeah, probably probably uh maybe a rant of some kind at some point but yeah probably something that i want to get out fast and and uh i'm not going to have the ability to type out so it'll be something something long and you know the first thing that comes to mind is like something senior day related like for baseball thinking about the memories i have for the four or five seniors or whatever that that would be that would be something i think that would be appropriate for
6: first one i'm going to put out is asking twitter for an edit button <laughs> <laughs>
1: no <laughs> kidding needed by think the about how many bad things are going to get out i mean you're going to get people who shouldn't be sending a tweet out at 2 a.m this is going to they may regret the day they've opted this option into twitter that's yeah. what i was going to
4: say the story that i read was that it's going to be very hard for them to monitor all that like they yeah. can do search words and for violations of stuff but it's Going to be harder for
2: them to do that with. How is Brett winning in the poll? Can we talk He's about that for a second?
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's rolling. All these are lopsided right now. What is that? <laughs> Actually, the, the color analyst one's a tight race between Lauren and Davison. All right. We're so distracted Wait, I'm, I'm not right too now. Far are behind you behind
5: Brett? Tim Scal looks like I'll a bully. <laughs>
4: oh, goodness. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, topic number six, the Premier League soccer returned to play earlier this week. And in a match featuring Aston Villa and Sheffield United, there was a controversial play. A free kick by Sheffield United appeared to cross the goal line. But the Hawkeye system, which is technology that alerts soccer referees when the ball crosses the goal line, it didn't really it didn't alert the uh, referee that it had crossed the goal line, which it's supposed to do, even though replays showed that it was clearly a goal. So video replays showed it, that it was a goal. What's your favorite and least favorite
1: piece of technology that are used in sports? Hmm. My, my favorite is, is the Hawkeye they use in tennis. That's really helped on the service mm-hmm. line. That's been a really big addition for tennis, and it's worked really well. My least favorite, a year or so ago, I would have said the baseball replay. I didn't like it, but they've gotten better at it. Um, since they've done that. And, and uh, you know what's really bogged down college basketball is having to go check the timer on the clock for the last minute of games. My gosh, for another tenth of a second, that is really, to me, not, that would be my least favorite is what they've done to the end of college basketball with that. I feel like my, uh, my least favorite like, like
2: technology thing that they did was the stupid mobile. Thankfully, that's gone. But that was just the dumbest thing ever. Um, I mean, it was fitting who they put in there, but the the idea of it was just awful. People couldn't see. I hate it on the sidelines uh, in football when they have those little things, those those roving cameras, because with every play, they're moving that machine up and down the sidelines, yelling at you to get out of the way. Because um, as we know, TV rules all. So I would uber. say any sideline roving camera can uh, can go find somewhere else to be. Would be great. And my sure. favorite piece. Hmm. I don't really know. I mean, radar gun. Yeah, radar guns are good. I mean, that's not really like super uber. Technological. I'm trying to think of the. Uh, I mean, anything mic'd up to me is awesome. I mm-hmm. mean, I'll, I'll go with that. So anytime you can put, yeah, you know, mics on players or mics on coaches, uh, uncensored, preferably, would be uh, would be my, my my kick. So I'll say yeah. that.
3: I also one like the, that golf, I,
2: the golf tracker from the TBox. Oh, that's, guys, yeah, that's a that's good one. That's been really good addition. Love that's that. I, I honestly
4: just. Um, Realized this the other day I was thinking about this the most people don't love this, but the strike zone the k zone that is everybody has now I actually am a fan of having that on every single pitch because I've gone back over the last few months you know and' been watching some you know old replays of games and you're watching a game from nineteen eighty seven and it doesn't have it and it just it almost looks wrong like you're like, wait was that a ball or a strike I want to know for yeah.
2: a fact if it was or wasn't but I think that's I'm with you, that... Josh. You find out where it crosses the plate as opposed to where the catcher gets the ball. I don't hate yep. it as much as a lot of people do either.
4: It's immediate judgment. You can learn the yep. strike zone, and it's, yeah, I like it.
6: All right. Topic number seven of the day. So the NBA obviously continuing to put together its plans for the rest of its season uh, coming up in late July. But there are a bunch of rules revolving around social distancing and mask wearing, and the NBA is insistent on enforcing these rules, so much so they've set up an NBA COVID-19 hotline, which players can call and anonymously report violations of the rules. So people have been calling it a snitch hotline and a a narc (laughs) hotline. On social media. So, what are your guys' thoughts on this matter? And do you have any shareable stories of a time when either you snitched on someone or someone snitched on you?
1: It's going to get messy. That is really going to get messy. The, the, that NBA packet came out of yesterday or two days ago. I don't know. I'm not sure it's going to work. I, I think the NBA Players Association is going to really push back on that. How do they know if they're being truthful or not? I mean, right, they could just. Right.
2: I mean, you're pissed at somebody. You just call and say, "Yeah, this guy was doing this. This guy was doing that." I mean, I. It's a good idea in theory, but I don't think there was really a lot of thought behind it. Right. And there was kids that tattled on me in school all the time for stuff. And whether I did it or not, getting blamed for everything. It was the same way way at my house. Keys were missing. Something got broke. You just get run over by the bus with that thing. It's amazing by looking at my face on that Husker Sports Twitter page that there's not tire marks all over my face from
1: people running me over with the bus (laughs) growing up. I had a little brother. He was constantly ratting me out on stuff. All the time, That wasn't. Were you, you guilty was, or not guilty? Ne- no, never my fault. Come on. Congratulations, <laughs> come on, ben. ben. This you, this is a decisive win for you in this Twitter poll. Well, just absolutely routed everybody. Don't know we've how got I feel about
4: Matt Cohny calling you? for votes. He's he's asking fans what? for votes on the Twitter poll. <laughs> you can't so do that. This is
2: oh, this is where on. it's at. <laughs> <laughs> is there are, got, are there people actually voting on it, or is it there's just like eight votes? And I've got. Oh no no! no you have got eight. a bunch. You got a bunch. There's
1: a lot of. There's a lot. There's a lot of votes. Man, you guys should have saved seven. that for the end. I've been so distracted. You're, we're 58 yeah. votes in our category, Ben, and you got 81% of them. So you are So just who's winning? Away. So we got different categories here. It's you, me, and Nate. Yep. Yep. You're and winning. Kent, JB
4: is running away JB. with the plate. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. He is 86%. Uh Lauren Brett has is a close. Yeah, Lauren is close with Matt Davison. He's that's close in the color analyst category, but then yeah, Brett's rolling. Pretty
1: easily in the producer one. Yeah, Ben is rolling. Brett is rolling. Yeah. Congrats. That's awesome. Good for you guys. (laughs) Well well done. (laughs) Feels great, let me tell you. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That might be an all-timer seven-on-seven right there. Wow. You guys realize those pictures are going to stay up on the page, right? Yeah.
2: The internet doesn't
4: forget. That's the point.
6: People
2: are going to make it their wallpaper. I will say this. I will say
4: this. I did not put last names on the pictures or in the polls themselves. So it could be anybody, you know? It it could Mm -hmm. be a different Ben. We don't know which Ben it is. (laughs) Yeah.
0: He's originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate. But his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Sponsored by Bathfitter for the beautiful bath you've always wanted. Kickstart your bathroom remodel by visiting bathfitter.com today. Now,
1: here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune. Hopefully having some fun this summer. I hope you're getting out and playing a little golf every now and then.
5: Guilty as charged, my friend. Today, <laughs> I, I played hooky. I got an offer to play at uh, Beverly Country Club, which is pretty nice. Uh, it's, pretty, it's cool. It's like in the city of Chicago, so you've got sirens. You've got train tracks. It's right in the thick of things. Um, pretty sweet course, and uh, yeah. Sorry, I hope my bosses are watching this, but uh, couldn't resist the temptation today.
1: Good for you. How, how, how fun did, was it to see actual golf on TV last week, and what a terrific leaderboard that was at the Colonial.
5: And how about the violent lipouts at the end? And Ugh. Daniel Berger very smartly tapping in that you know foot and a half uh, in the playoff hole uh, before uh, Colin uh, you know ha- had some adventures there. But it really was um, you know I think I saw the number where like over 400 people were tested by the PGA Tour and somehow none were positive for coronavirus. Wow. And on the Corn Ferry Tour, it was maybe only three. So. I think it goes to show you those players have been so thirsty for competition, so dying to come back, that they were really taking care of themselves. Just a terrific – I mean, the fact that – Yeah, the fact that they could pull it off without a hitch, without the slightest problem, you know, so many of the pros are playing. Now, I don't know when Tiger is going to play. Is he committed to one of these things yet?
1: Not that I know of. He's not not in this week's field either.
5: Yeah, so what's up, man? Fire up the yacht and uh, start playing (laughs) Tiger. Everybody else is. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's all that leaderboard was missing was Tiger. Everybody else was there. It was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think this week's tournament will be good as well. Then Sunday yeah. night, a lot of America tuned in to watch the 30 for 30 long gone summer. You gave us a teaser last week of that. Uh, my yeah. question coming out of that was, one, I thought they buried the lead. I mean, they could do the whole buildup and kind of the steroids was at the end. But, but yes. my, my main question for you is, when do you think the Cubs welcome him back? Or will they welcome him back at any point in time? <laughs>
5: Greg, it's a great question. Like Sammy has been on this media blitz to the point it's like, Oh, enough of this guy. I mean, David Kaplan, who you've probably had your show on your show many times. I love Cap, but enough with the Sammy. I mean, first of all, everybody just has to dance around the steroid question with him. It's like nobody can directly ask him. So they find it's like this gymnastics event to say, so, Sammy, what about the people who were confused by this report and those who tested positive? And what do you think of Rafael Palmero or McGuire who admitted it? Like, he's so guilty. He won't admit it. The Cubs stance is, look, just give us something. Um just acknowledge like what everybody knows. Now most fans they have very short memories. So it seems like eighty percent of Cubs fans are saying invite him back. You know, they don't care that I guess he quirked it back. They don't care that he walked out on his team on the final day. I think what they should care about is the fact that he was really not a good teammate. You know, and these examples that they forget, but you know, I'm covering spring training and Don Baylor's first season as manager. And there's a day that pitchers and catchers report. And then there's a day that the full squad reports. And he comes four days later. And when he walks in, he screams, welcome to my house. And if you're a veteran player at that point, you've been there for 10 days. How are you going to take that? And the fact that, like, he had this boom box that represented his power and nobody else was allowed to play music. So there's a reason why the Cubs did not win a lot with him. Now, obviously, you can't fight. The fact that he was an amazing entertainer i mean i covered him one year he had 160 rbis the next highest guy had 64. that's how good he was Mm. but um i think people need to look at it in balance and whether he comes back or not i don't really care it would certainly be entertaining i'm not a cubs fan it would mean a lot to me but it seems like the groundswell is there and the ricketts family might just cave at some point
1: yeah you you've got a column about some of your fun interactions with him right
5: I do. I couldn't resist um, writing about my five favorite interactions with him. Some salty language from him and some of them. You know, the one that was interesting was the last one. So I'm in the clubhouse and there's a backup outfielder named Roosevelt Brown. This is the end of the 2002 season. The Cubs are terrible. And he says, you're not going to believe what happened. Joe Girardi turned off Sammy's boom box when he wasn't there. This might not sound like a big deal, but this was a big deal. So I asked Joe what happened. You know, he's like my fellow Western guy. We're kind of friendly. He says, well, you know, I had, uh, I had a migraine. Sammy wasn't in the clubhouse. I thought it wouldn't be a big deal. So I just write this story up. I'm kind of, you know, 400 words, nothing big. Next day's paper, uh, banner headline across the tunes at Wrigley Field. I knew it was going to be tough walking into the clubhouse that day. Sammy grabs me by the shoulder. What the blank was that? Girardi wouldn't talk to me. And a year later, I see Girardi and i say hey are we okay and he says oh yeah he's like i got a lot of calls from people around the league they said you stood up to sammy and they admired him for it so uh, it turned out to be uh you know a, a, a positive reflection of uh, of something he did
1: very good. Teddy Greenside with us in Chicago Tribune. I had this this note on my list for last week, and we just got going on other things. I ran out of time, but I want to get your thoughts on the Iowa situation with Kirk yeah. Ferentz and Chris Doyle. The longtime strength coach has now been given his walking papers with a nice severance package, I might Correct. add as well. How, how do you think he's handled that, and does Ferentz survive this in your eyes?
5: I, I really do think uh, Kirk is going to survive this. You know, he... Handled it as well as he could have in that, um, you know, he said, look, okay, we have a problem. We acknowledge this. Um, I've done poorly in this regard. Uh, This needs to be a reset for the program. Like he didn't do anything to diminish the concerns of his former players. Also, what was important was that his current players were backing him. Whereas, you know, with Mike Gundy, you get a sense of the current players are looking for a reason to pounce on him because he's just really ignorant. I think with Kirk, they see him as a good person. What I would blame him for is not asking himself years ago, how come the African-American graduation rate was so low in his program? And how come such a high percentage of his transfers were black players? He should have seen then, hey, what is going on here? You know, Northwestern, I was talking to Pat Fitzgerald today. They have a leadership council. They have various ways for players to talk to somebody on the team, and that word is going to get to fit. So whether it's an issue of music or clothing, earrings, whatever it is, they have a voice. Iowa players didn't have that voice, and they were stifled. They weren't even allowed to tweet. So now they do, and Kirk responded quickly. He got uh, Chris Doyle out of there, and now he can, I think, have a final good chapter to his time at uh, Iowa.
1: Yeah, You had an ominous tweet yesterday for those of us who love college football when you said someone high up in college athletics just told me it's 50-50 at best that the season is played. Oh, no.
5: I know. And that person told me on some days he feels like it's 30-70. And then today we get the word that 13 University of Texas players, you know, tested positive for corona. And in so many of these states, the trend is going poorly. You know, we're talking about Florida or Arizona or places like that. You know, the person I spoke to said it will be a Herculean task just to get the players on the field safely. Forget about Gary Barta talking about full crowds. I I don't know what he's what he's smoking. I mean, that's not going to happen. Look, unless we get really lucky or unless the scientists are wrong, it's going to be bad in October and November. There's going to be a second wave. And, you know, you see a headline where Anthony Fauci says baseball should end at the end of September. And then you see Fauci saying uh, maybe there shouldn't be football. And, you know, again, we're dealing with college kids. It's one thing for those NFL players to take the risk and just for them to televise games. You know, the NFL to me is a TV sport anyway. That's their livelihood. But to tell college kids now, you know, you must take that chance. Obviously, I hope it happens. But, um, man, I do not feel as optimistic as I did, you know, recently.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. All right, appreciate it. Go hit the 19th hole. We'll talk next week. Thank
5: you, Greg. Have a great night.
1: We're back. Final few minutes of this hour here on Sports Nightly. Some of the big headlines of the day. Scott Frost, Fred Hoiberg going to give some money back to the athletic department to help fund some of the athletic department during this COVID-19 crisis that may certainly affect the athletic department budget because of the lack of maybe fans in the stands for some of the games this fall and winter. We certainly hope not, but that certainly could be the case. And Aaron Polenski, Husker Jr. outfielder, signs a free agent deal with the New York Yankees, thus ending his college baseball career. Uh, not surprised if there had been the full draft, don't you think he would have been a top ten pick, top ten round pick? He didn't go in first five, but I think he might have gone seven, eight, nine, or ten. Yeah, I think I think that's pr- that's
2: probably where he'd have ended up. Uh, it would have been interesting to see where his uh, where his uh, final season stats would have ended up in terms of average and even more so the power numbers. I think there's a lot of good average hitters in college, you know, for batting average and hits, but you really got to show. Some of those five tools that, that, that get that get scouts excited and, and your projectables, I suppose, and that's po- power. You know, Aaron's a decent speed runner, but he's not a guy that's going to burn around the bases. So he's, you've got to find some tools, some other places that uh, that are going to be attractive to scouts. And I think he does have some sneaky pop to the pull side. And I think we have saw mm-hmm. uh, that in his in his short Husker
1: career. Yeah, I think he can hit for average and some pop and play pretty well defensively. Uh, And I think that's what scouts are looking for. I remember we were at Baylor first weekend of the season. I had some scouts going, can you point Polenski out as the Oscars were out taking BP and shagging some flies? So he, um, he had some attention throughout what was a shortened season for college baseball. We wish him luck. Callers and guests into our show. Dial us up on our Sports Highly Hotline. Brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family. Bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Interesting hour. Thanks to Austin and Josh's seven-on-seven topics with dressing Ben and I up as women. Interesting. And always good to hear from Teddy Greenside. He always adds a little slice of excitement to us.